0: Our big stop sign goes away after this week. I've kind of liked it because it's a reminder to stop overthinking everything in our lives, which we all tend to do. Anybody who doesn't overthink it is dismissed at this point because this is our message for the rest of us. I'm not seeing people make their way to the door. Because the truth is, we do tend to overthink things. And so as we looked at the seven churches in the book of Revelation and the letters that Jesus wrote to each of them, we looked at how you can summarize each letter with a simple statement that helps us to quit overthinking things, because we are just to live by faith. Amen? So what we're supposed to do, just live by faith. It sounds so easy, but to put it into practice always becomes hard. And so that's why we've been looking at these texts to help get us back to understand what it means to be a person of faith, to put our cares and concerns in God's hands. We've seen the following six and this morning, seventh of these letters with these basic statements. Rekindle the fire. When the fire is out in our life and we're not passionately living for Christ, it needs to be rekindled. When we're going through a tough time, stand strong. There's times in our life, and that's what we need to do. We just are facing a difficulty, and we don't need to move forward. We just need to stand strong and trust that God is with us. That's really what we see when we bring these prayer requests about people's health. Proclaim your faith. Amen? We as Christians need to be willing to admit that we are followers of Christ and to proclaim that and to share the good news that's in our lives because of what Jesus has done for us. Ask the right questions. That's really about going to the Bible and realizing that you don't just read a scripture and, and just kind of go on with your daily life, but you read it and you ask questions like, what is this saying? What did the people who first heard this text understand it to be? And what's God saying to me today? What's God's claim on my life today? Wake up. That's a big one for an awful lot of us because there's times when we just kind of zone out in our life like the people in the first century. And it's important for us to understand that God wants us to be aware of what's around us. So many times I've seen people who there's something going on and they're missing what's right around us. And the text reminds us to be alert to what God is doing and where God's action is and why God has you and me in the particular places that we are at any given moment stay the course. Well, I think this pandemic has helped an awful lot of us realize that we need to stay the course. Early on, I remember hearing of rules and regulations and thinking, how are we going to get through this as a church? Do you know how we did it? We stayed faithful to Christ. We paid Jesus first. And that's what we need to do in our own lives is to stay that course, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and all the other distractions that want to pull us off to the side and going in different directions. We need to learn to tune those out and stay the course and do what God wants us to do. Amen. That's every day. That's when you go to work. That's when you encounter your family. That's when you encounter your friends. Stay the course as we stay faithful. And today, it's about learning to open the door. Jesus says in Revelation 3, verses 14 through 22, in my favorite of the seven letters, a letter that probably best depicts the modern church. I think there's an awful lot in this. It helps us understand who the 21st century church is. Jesus says to the angel of the church at Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works and you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I'm rich, i prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so you may be rich with white garments, so that you may close yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. I've got news for you. Now, you might not have ever noticed this, but we live in a very individualistic society. Do you ever notice that as an American? Everybody just wants to do their own thing. In fact, the problem is not that we are being individuals, but we think we're being individuals when really all we're doing is following the crowd. There's so much manipulation that takes place that people think that they're making their own decisions, just like in the Church of Laodicea, and people have become lukewarm, but it really became a kind of a group think, as everybody else just started to do the same thing. In fact, that's how social media works. It it actually is based on the premise that it can make you think that you're making decisions that you aren't, and I experienced it recently when I was on a vacation in Ohio. One of the things I avoid, sorry to anybody who goes on it, it's okay, is a Facebook group called All Things Plymouth. I like it. I heard humor. I just don't go there. I just avoid it. So now I'm sitting in Ohio, and I turn my Facebook on, and the first thing that pops up is All Things Plymouth, to which I think that's interesting. And it has this little thing that it says, Boxer Dog Hit on Carver Road in Plymouth. And I said something to my daughter-in-law, and she said, well, of course, you post about boxers. You have a new puppy. That's like all you talk about, Dad. Dad. <laughs> And you live on Carver Road and you check into your church. So Facebook just does that. It just knows what you already do and it feeds it back to you. She said, here's what people don't realize. That if you post something to social media, it goes, oh, that's what you're interested in. And you're going to get a 1,000 people who are going to talk about the same thing. And that's all you're going to start seeing. And pretty soon you start thinking that everybody thinks like you. Because look at all these people who are saying the same thing. So you type in UFO lands in Northbridge, Massachusetts, and all of a sudden you find there's a thousand other people who think that the UFO landed in Northbridge, Massachusetts, and you go, oh, everybody's thinking this. No, it just means there's 999 other crazy people who think the same thing you're thinking. So we think we're making our decisions for ourselves, like the Church of Laodicea, and we're just being manipulated, and we have got to be careful, folks, because we need to guard our mind and our hearts Now, I'm not going to pick on today. Let me pick on the 1980s, 37 years ago. CNN has a documentary called The 1980s, and I like to watch all those documentaries. I love documentaries that talk about things that I lived through. It makes me feel young again. There's one on Blockbuster Video, it's great. Now, it's not a great video. It's not a great documentary. But I just love to go back and think about Blockbuster video. And I don't know how to explain to my little granddaughter what it was like on a Friday night to show up at Blockbuster and just hope that you could get that movie, that you could go home and you could watch. There's something magical about that. Now you just hit a button on your TV and it pops up. What fun is that? Well, in this particular documentary, they were talking about Madonna. And it was Madonna Day in Macy's in New York City. And there were like a thousand little Madonnas. Every middle school girl was all dressed exactly the same. They all had all the makeup and all the stuff on, and they all looked like Madonna. And the store was just packed with all these middle school and early high school girls looking like Madonna. And somebody walked up to one of the girls and said, what do you like about Madonna? And the kid responded, she's unique, just like we are. Nothing unique and everybody dressing and looking like everyone else. There's lots of noise out there working to get you to conform. And if I've just offended you, good, I intended to offend everyone with those comments. Because we all are subject to it. We're all subject to being manipulated and having people twist us into thinking that somehow we're making a decision and all the while we're not and we give ourselves away a little bit and Jesus wants to ignite that fire back in our life and get us passionate about our relationship with Christ and being God's ambassadors in this world and doing the work that God calls us to do and loving and bringing about peace and justice and Christ reconciliation and sharing our faith amen it's what we're here for We're here to be God's people in this place and time, and it's a unique opportunity. And when our world gets messed up, you come to your pastor and say, the world is messed up. And I go, isn't that awesome? That means we got work to do. Because that's what the Bible teaches us. In Jesus' final letter in the book of Revelation, he helps us see how to tune out the noise so we can start living by faith and can get back to be passionate about what God wants to be priority in our life. And it begins by our recognizing the problem. And you know who the problem is? It's always the same same three people. Me, myself, and I. They're always the ones who mess us up. It's not somebody else out there who gets me off target. It's not somebody else who does something that keeps me from living the life that Christ wants me to live. It's not somebody out there who makes me fall for an idea or, or something that distracts me from what's important in my life. It's me who allows it to happen. Where, therefore, verses 14 and 15, the angel of the church of Laodicea, write these words, the words of the amen, the faithful witness, the one from the beginning of creation. I know your works, and you're neither hot nor cold. You just become lukewarm," Jesus says. "And because you're neither hot nor cold, I wish you were one or the other, but because you aren't, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. The word Laodicea, the very name of the town where these people lived, is a compound word. It's two Greek words that were put together. It's the word laos and Dakia. Laos means people, and Dakia means justice. So they saw themselves as the justice of the people, meaning they made their own decisions and they did whatever they felt was right, and they came to that conclusion together, and that's who they were as a community. They set their own standard, and nobody else was going to tell them what to do, and we're going to see how that worked for them. The problem is that we do that far too often in our lives. We think that we become the standard to live by rather than God and his word. Hear the difference? My father used to have a turn for it. He said, people like to get together, and they like to pool their own ignorance which means you bring 100 people together who don't know what they're talking about, and they all start talking and figuring something out, and we think that we figured something out, but all we have is the best of our own thinking. And we start wondering, what's wrong? What's wrong? I'm doing what everybody else is doing. It seems to be working for them, but we find out that it's not working for them, and it's not working for us, and we start becoming lukewarm in our faith and we lose the passion, and we start overthinking it, and we start getting confused, and we're like, I don't get it. Well, because the other thing is that whole idea of being lukewarm. You see, this is an illustration that would have made a lot of sense to this particular town that was in Laodicea, because most communities in the ancient world were always founded on a waterway. That's how you decide where to put a town. If you had good ability to get in and out because you were on a waterway. So a lot of the places would be on a lake or on a river or certainly on the Mediterranean Sea. But that's not why Laodicea was put where it was. It was at a crossroads of two roads that went through. and they built a town there, the problem was there was no water. Kind of reminds me of Winemere, North Dakota. Every great sermon has to have some North Dakota illustration. I came from the town of Winemere. It was built because that's where the train stopped. They needed to stop, and, and they had a water stop there for the train, so everybody said, hey, let's just build a town there. So why do I live where I live? Because that's where the train stopped. No other reason. Well, that's kind of like Laodicea. It had been put at this particular place, but there was no fresh water. So unlike the cities that would have like a nice spring where you could get cold water and then you could have everybody in town would go to the spring or go to the well and they'd have great cold drinking water, Laodicea had to get their their water from six miles away and they had a pipe that would would pipe that water over in the first century. It was a hot spring, so by the time the water got to Laodicea, it was kind of tepid, lukewarm, yucky water. And people complained about their water. They weren't like other cities. kind of reminds me when I first moved to New England. I think this is why I have a thing for Dunkin' Donuts that I don't like them. Sorry to all you Dunkin' Donuts drinkers. I show up in Lowell, and right down the street from me, there's a Dunkin' Donuts, and I decide I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. So I drive my car down, I park, and I walk in, and I say to the woman, I'd like a cup of coffee. What kind of coffee? I'm from North Dakota. Coffee's coffee. Well, what kind of coffee do you want? I said, what kind do you have? She goes, you want regular? So I'm thinking to myself with my North Dakota brain, regular coffee means it's got caffeine. Decaf means it doesn't. I said, yes, I'll take a regular coffee. I didn't realize New Englanders put cream and sugar in their regular coffee. I drink this insipid, cold, sweet drink and literally want to spit it all over the counter right in front of her. It's kind of like the people in the first century thought with their water. They didn't like their water. It was insipid. It was lukewarm. It wasn't hot or cold. And Jesus said, that's how we can become as Christians. I don't mind if you're cold, Jesus said. I don't mind if you've just turned off the things of God, like the thief on the cross, and you're just willing to say, I have nothing to do with God. You find out that that doesn't work, and then the thief on the cross is able to repent and give his life to Jesus. He said, I'd rather you be like that than be lukewarm. And I'd rather you be hot. To be hot is like the Apostle Paul, living for Jesus, proclaiming the faith, literally getting stoned in public and getting up and saying, that's okay. I've lived to breathe another day and proclaim my faith and to build churches and to be enthusiastic and excited about what it means to be a Christian. To be lukewarm is to be Judas. He's sitting there, can you imagine being Judas? He's sitting there with all the other disciples and they're excited by the teachings of Jesus and he's a treasure and he's sitting there thinking, "How do I skim a little bit of money off for myself? Nobody'll will notice, will they?" Well, I guess we did notice cuz 2000 years later it's written in the Bible and we still tell about it. But that's what it means to be lukewarm. Only thinking about myself, only thinking my own ideas. Wondering what's wrong, following the crowd thinking it's got to work, doing the same thing the next time and wondering why my life is not really full of meaning. We might be there this morning. We've all been there. Let's be honest. We've all been there at times in our lives. There's times in our life when we're just like we've just gotten distracted with everything else and we become like the Church of Laodicea. And yes, that's what I think the modern twenty first century church has become far too much of. Everything else is important as opposed to Jesus, his words, and the passion for people and doing the things that the gospel teaches us to do, to share our faith. When that happens, Jesus says we need to humble ourselves. Little humility goes a long way. Verse 17, Jesus says, here's the problem, you say I'm rich, I prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, there is why the church of Laodicea ultimately became such a lukewarm church. They had too many material possessions. They were a wealthy community. They had a great banking establishment. They even had a medical school. In fact, they had the best textile industry of anyone in the Roman Empire, and so the people were wealthy. There's only one problem with their wealth. You could participate in your public financial undertakings. You could run a business. You could make a lot of money. You could go be a banker. You could go to medical school. You could become a doctor. You just had to do one thing. You had to admit that Caesar was God. And Jesus was not Lord. It's only a little compromise, isn't it? You just have to admit that you don't really take your faith seriously. And you just had to bow down to Caesar. Now, for a while, the Christians didn't have to do that because they were a sect within Judaism, and Judaism was given in the first century an exemption from that, so Jewish people did not have to bow down to Caesar. But once the Christian faith completely separated from the Jewish faith and we had our own church and our own identity, the rules came back, and that's where the persecution of the early church comes in. It's not a big deal. Come on, folks. All you got to do is admit that Caesar's Lord and not Jesus. That is a big deal, isn't it? But people started to do it. And they justified it in their own mind. And they said, well, it's working pretty well for me because after all, I'm wealthy. I'm rich. I'm prosperous. I don't need anything. Obviously, God is blessing my decision. They compromised and prospered materially. But Jesus said, here's the problem. You're wretched. You're pitiable. You're poor. You're blind and you're naked and you don't even see it. Because you've given yourself, and instead of living according to the faith and the relationship you have with God, you've let the things of this world become so much more important that the things that really don't last have become God in your life, and you don't even see it. Now, Jesus had a little experience with that with a guy named the rich young ruler who comes to him and says, Jesus, I don't get what's wrong in my life. I'm, I've got everything. And Jesus said, follow the Ten Commandments. And he, guys, guy's confident i followed them since I was a kid. I'm an expert in them. I followed them better than anybody else. Jesus, realizing that the guy was a little bit arrogant, no, I guess realizing the guy was really arrogant, turned to him and said, Oh, so you think you're such a faithful follower of God. Give away everything you have and come follow me. And the Bible said the guy put his head down and walked away. Jesus then said, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter heaven. When we let the things of this world become the center of our life, we've got a problem. And yet we all do it. It's not just with material things. It's with our job. It's with our reputation. It's with our fears. Now, it's interesting that that story goes on, that that guy after the resurrection... Bible doesn't tell us this, but church tradition tells us this. He came to faith and he became an early leader in the early church. So eventually he did get the message. It was 1978, and I was living in Lake Tahoe, California, a nice little college student, doing what every future pastor should do as working in a casino. What better training center for a pastor than to work in a casino? I learned a lot that summer. It was also that summer that the owner of the casino was Bill Hera, and we were told he was a wealthy man. Why, you walked in the casino and you knew that he was on Johnny Carson. Do you know why? They had pictures of him on Johnny Carson all over the place. He also had the world's largest antique car, car collection. He put some of them on display. You couldn't touch them, but you could see them, and you were told this guy was wealthy. They even gave us little brochures about Bill Hera, the owner of the casino, The problem is, Bill was in his 60s, and he had a heart condition he was unaware of, and on June 30th, 1978, in the middle of my work at a casino as a dishwasher, it wasn't too exciting of a job, with a bunch of other Christians who went every single day to work, we turned on the radio that morning and we heard that Bill Hara died of a heart attack suddenly. We got to the casino that day and we're getting ready to turn into the employee parking lot my friend Jan was driving the car and I said, stop the car! She stopped. I said, let's get out! We all got out. We stood there and we looked up at the casino and I said, look, he didn't take it with him. We do that, don't we? We're like the Church of Laodicea. We think the things of this world are far too important. In the end, they aren't. We stand before God. The scripture teaches us very clearly there's only two things you're going to come in contact with today that are eternal. Human beings and God's word. Everything else is temporal and passes away. Your relationship with God matters and how you treat one another matters and how you share the gospel matters and how you love people matters and how you serve people matters. But the rest of the stuff is just stuff. And yet we elevate it so high in our life. That's why I love, in contrast to that Jim Elliott, the Guy who was a missionary to Ecuador who died as a missionary whose wife said, it's okay because my husband lived by these words. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. It's one of my favorite sayings. What are we living for? Have we become lukewarm Christians who are arrogant in our own minds and just look at what we have and compare ourselves to others? All the while, inwardly, we're dying and we're like saying there's something wrong here. That's what the Bible says is our danger as Christians. That's where Satan wants us. Distracted. Looking at everything else and focusing on everything else rather than understanding that God has a plan and a purpose for our life today. He cares about you. He has you right where you want you, so that you can do the things that God wants you to do today. And that involves getting to know him better, learning about him better, and sharing that faith with others, and living out the Christian life, which is why Jesus tells us, open the door. Only you and I can do it. No one else can open the door for us. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus talking to every one of us. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Way back in that same summer that I was a college student with Campus Crusade for Christ out in California, I had a little Bible memory system that I started memorizing Bible passages. This was the second Bible verse that I learned only it went a little different. It was a New American standard. It said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. Years later, I was a student at Gordon-Conwell Seminary getting ready to finish off my seminary time so I could get my Master Divinity, and I decided to take an elective class on the Book of Revelation. I studied under Gregory Beale, Now, I didn't know it at the time, but the guy was a brilliant young man who was writing a commentary. Today, Dr. Beale's commentary is really the authoritative commentary on the book of Revelation. He also no longer teaches at Gordon. He now teaches at Wheaton College in Illinois. But one of the things that Dr. Beale said to us, he didn't tell us this before we took the class. He said, when you come to my class, you do not bring in an English New Testament. You bring in a Greek New Testament. We're only going to do this out of the Greek. And, for safe measure, to make sure that you're following along and and really are translating the way we're supposed to translate, I'm going to randomly call on you as students, and I'm going to point to you, and you get to translate a text. You can imagine how your pastor, future pastor, started to sweat. Not me, I thought, but it was a requirement for passing the class so I did the only thing I knew to do. I knew this text, so I opened the door to Jesus, and I said, Jesus, help me. because I don't know how I'm going to get through this. You need to get this one for me, because I'm going to do my best, but I am not great. And especially being called on with a Greek text, nothing else. Couldn't write anything in the margins. Had to be a clean Greek text. One day, I'd sit in class, and he'd point at somebody and say, Translate! It was Revelation 6, 14 to 16, and I would sit there and go, I can't translate, but the person beside me would do it masterfully. I was like, wow, that's amazing. I'm the stupidest person in here. And then one day he turned to me. Stan Cushing, translate Revelation 3.20. (laughs) I have that verse memorized. I wanted to say, do you want me to do it by memory, or do you really want me to look at my text? But knowing that Jesus had got me out of a pickle, I said, "Mm -hmm, uh, I think the first word here means behold, stand me, no, no, that would be first, that would be I stand, and I acted like I was translating right in front of everyone. I got through it, and I looked to the Lord and I said, thank you, (laughs) you answered my prayer in a way that made sense to me today. I cannot guarantee you that when you open the door, Jesus is always going to come that personally for you and for me. But I can guarantee you he will come for you and for me because we are invited to open the door, to quit carrying it on our own, to quit thinking that we need to be in control, to quit thinking that we need to overthink it, to quit thinking that we need to figure it out. We've got to open the door. Do you hear it? Got to open the door. It takes responsibility on our part. Back in the 1850s, a guy named William Holman Hunt painted the famous picture of Jesus opening the door. This is actually a redoing of the picture. I think we have something from the original picture that I'd like to have us put up. Interesting on the original picture, we, we, we have copies circulating around the church. We couldn't get a good enough copy to make it so you could see it up front. But when he painted his original painting, the door that Jesus is knocking at has weeds all over the door. And Holman Hunt said, the reason the weeds are on the door is because that's what we do. We keep Jesus out until the weeds are all growing up all over the place. Because we've chosen not to turn our life constantly over to him. And it's like a house that's been unkept and we haven't let Jesus in. And so pretty soon, the weeds start growing all over the door. On his picture, he also made sure, in the modern depictions of it also, there's no handle on the outside. Because guess what, folks? Jesus is not going to barge into your life. He's not going to push his way in. He's inviting us. He's knocking on the door and asking us to open the door. The handle's on the inside. The picture's at night. Because you know what? That's what happens when we keep God out of our life. Things just start getting darker and darker. And we start saying, how am I here? And in the original picture, there are bats flying around of all the scary tough things but there is a distant sunrise reminding us that there is a bright future as long as i open the door and let jesus lead me he'll lead me to the sunrise to the new day to something far better than those moments when i'm miring in my own stuff and of course jesus is holding a lamp because the name of his original painting is light of the world and only jesus is a light of the world folks amen only jesus You can follow everything else and everybody else and it's not going to lead you to that new day that Jesus wants in your life. Jesus can do that. And that's why we open the door and we let him in. And of course, Jesus is a ruler and he's a king in a robe. But the crown he wears is always a crown of thorns because he didn't become our ruler by forcing his way into the world, but by giving his life as a sacrifice. So we end our time of talking about overthinking it, asking you to stop overthinking it. Recognize the problem is not everybody out there. We go far too often blaming everybody else for our problems and failing to realize that God wants to do that work internally in us. And if the Apostle Paul can face the stuff that he faced, guess what, folks? We can face Everything that God has in store for us today. And I have seen as a pastor of the church, Christians face stuff that I do not know how they get through. And they've been in my congregation. And I'm like, how did you get through that? Trust it in Jesus, Pastor Stan. He gets me through. I go from victory to victory. But we need to humble ourselves and we must open the door. And that's my invitation. Do you need to open the door? They tell me, The COVID restrictions are down. And they tell me that we have some freedom. So, as we close our service this morning, if you'd like to have prayer, I invite you to come forward for prayer. You might have a thing in your life that you've been holding on to, and you need to open the door, and you need to just put Jesus in charge. And if a few people start coming forward, if others would be willing to come forward and have prayer with him, I would invite you to do that also. Where are you today? Have you been holding it yourself? Have you been trying to be in control? Have you been overthinking it and thinking that somehow it's going to get better if you just keep doing the same thing? Let's turn our lives and our will over to our Savior. Only Jesus is the answer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see that when we trust in everything in this world, it's only going to let us down. When we think that we're making our own decisions but we're really just following the crowd we're not putting our focus and our faith in you and if we need to make a change help us to be bold this morning and as our last song is being sung help us come forward and admit before you before this congregation and before our pastor that we need to go in a new direction we love you